from Psalms 44. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You are my king and my God, who decrees victories for Jacob. And though uh, through you we pushed back our enemies, through your name we trampled our foes. I put no trust in my bow, my sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. But now, you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before the enemy, and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing for their sale. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors and the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations, and the people shake their heads at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. If we had forgotten the name of our God or spread our hands out to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it, since he knows the secrets of our hearts? Yet for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust and our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up, help us, rescue us because of your unfailing love. This is the word of God. Shall we pray as we come to God's word together? Let's pray. Father, these words are difficult in many ways as we hear of your people suffering uh, unjustly uh, and unfairly. And yet they give us hope because the psalmist clings to you uh, in the midst of, of the terrible situation that they face that your people find themselves in. And so we, we pray that you would encourage us uh, this morning, that you might help us to, to feel this psalm uh, and to live it out, uh, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. This this is sort of one-off uh, sermon uh, in uh, Psalm 44. Uh, we're taking a little break from Acts uh, with the getaway uh, this week, uh, and and as we come to the the sermon, the big question is how how do we respond uh, when God's people suffer? 
How do we respond when God's people suffer? I guess that's a question we do need to ask ourselves. We look around the world uh, at brothers and sisters in Christ uh, who are persecuted uh, for their faith. So if you take you know, North Korea uh, as, as one example, um, so, some estimates say that between 50,000 and 70,000 Christians uh, are imprisoned in labor camps in North Korea. It's an extraordinary number, 50 to 70,000. What is that about? Why is God allowing faithful believers to sort of languish in these prison camps? Does, does God not realize that that is going on? Does he not see? Or um, uh, more recently again, a uh, pastor of, of a church in China called Wang Yi, um, his church called Early Rain Covenant Church in, in Sichuan. Well, he was arrested along with his wife and about 160 uh, members of that church congregation. Um, he has been charged with inciting subversion of state power uh, and could face up to 15 years in prison. All four uh, preaching the gospel. That's all they've done at that church family. They've preached the gospel. Um, even those that weren't arrested, 150 arrested, but even more uh, forced to leave their homes uh, in that city, uh, effectively in exile, others in, under surveillance uh, 24-7 to check where they're, what they're doing. Why would God allow that uh, to happen? Come closer to home, and I guess we can all uh, we all know uh, members of this church family or other Christians that we know who are suffering uh, at the minute, uh, very sudden uh, ill health uh, or other other forms of suffering. So when we see that, when we experience that, how do we feel about it? How would we feel if that were us? Uh, church shut down, pastors imprisoned. How would we feel if it was us carted off to a labor camp simply for saying that we trust in Jesus? The question you end up asking in those sorts of situations is, has God rejected his people? What is going on? And are you allowed to express that feeling to God? Or do you have to just sort of grin and, and bear it and say, you know, God is sovereign, he's in control, That's, that must be his will? Well, Psalm 44, I think, begins to, to help us answer some of those questions. It will supremely tell us that we are allowed to express those sort of feelings to God. Psalm 44 is all about uh, the suffering of God's people. And with all the Psalms, Psalm 44, it is a prayer. Um, it is a song. Um, so it's not a, it's not a textbook answer uh, to the problem of suffering but it is a, a cry of the heart uh, in the midst of that experience. And so we are meant to feel it. We're meant to feel it and, and experience it with the psalmist. It's meant to chime either with our experience as we look around the world, um, or it's meant to prepare us, prepare our hearts for similar experiences. So as I say, this, this psalm won't answer the question, uh, at least not neatly, why do we suffer? We often want to ask that question. This isn't addressing that question. But it, it does give us words to express uh, how we feel uh, in the midst of suffering. It gives us words to pray uh, when we see God's people suffer. It gives us words to pray when we ourselves 
uh, suffer. It helps us to respond rightly uh, to who God is in all the hurt and confusion that, that accompanies suffering. Um, it allows us to cry out to God and it urges us to cling to his unfailing love. That's where we're, we're heading this morning. Um, Psalm 44, obviously part of um, the, the broader book of the Psalms, uh, it comes straight after Psalm 42 and 43, obvious. Um, but Psalm 42 and 3 are laments, um, laments of an individual uh, crying out to God uh, when they feel forsaken, cut off uh, by, from God. Um, they are expressions of, uh, of the human experience but they're also uh, pointing forward to their fulfillment in Jesus and the suffering that Jesus experiences. When we come to Psalm 44, our passage for this morning, it is a, a little different. Um, it is a lament, it is a cry to God, but it is the cry of a community. It is the cry of God's people, not just of one individual, but of God's people uh, who together are suffering. The shocking thing uh, in this Psalm, as we'll see, is that that God's people are suffering because they have been faithful uh, to him. The Old Testament people of God, they they were humbled and rejected by God uh, many, many times uh, throughout their history. And it's basically what the Old Testament is about. Uh, God's people turn away from God and he humbles them. And they are defeated. They are taken off into exile. And once they turn back to God, then they're restored uh, as the people of God. In Psalm 44, it's a little bit different. It's not quite that simple. The psalmist is clear. They have not been unfaithful. They have not been disobedient. And yet, they are still suffering. They still feel rejected by God. And in fact, it is because they have been faithful to God that they suffer. Let's, di- let's dig in uh, to the passage. That was all by way of introduction. Let's, let's get stuck in uh, to verses one to four, where we see that in the past, God has given victory to those he loved. The, the psalm begins in, in a pretty familiar way, like lots of psalms of praise to God, recounting how God has been at work in the past. It sounds like it's going to be a psalm of victory. Let me read them again for us. We have heard it with our ears, O God. Our ancestors have told us what you did in their days, in days long ago. With your hand, you drove out the nations and planted our ancestors. You crushed the peoples and made our ancestors flourish. It was not by their sword that they won the land, nor did their arm bring them victory. It was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your face, for you loved them. You can just sort of picture the Uh, the old man sort of gathering the younger generations around him uh, to recount uh, the stories of the past. And all the young people probably roll their eyes and say, yes, we know, granddad, you know, God did all these wonderful things uh, for us. What has has God done in the past for his people? Well, he had given them the land. He had given them victory uh, over his enemies. The psalmist is clear, it was not the people who deserved that. It was not the people's strength, it was not their skill uh, that achieved the victory. No, it was God's right hand, it was his arm. It was the light of his face that brought them the victory. God had done it all. 
And why had he done it? Well, the end of verse three, for you loved them. God loved his people, and so they were victorious. I mean, isn't that what God does? He's with those he loves, so everything goes well. That was, that was a big promise in the Old Testament. I will be with you because I love you, and things will go well for you. It's a bit different today, isn't it? We're not, we're not the Old Testament people of God. Um, but as we look back uh, at the history of the church, I guess we can see many ways in which God has been incredibly good uh, to his people. If you've been with us on Sunday mornings, you'll have seen in Acts how the gospel spreads uh, across the whole known world, how hundreds and thousands of people uh, come to know him. And fast forward a, a, a few hundred years, you get the Reformation and, and the rediscovery of uh, justification by faith at the very heart of uh, the Christian message, uh, the impact that has, uh, has had on, on the world. Even in this country, there have been uh, great times of revival uh, where churches like this would have been absolutely packed uh, with people coming to hear the word of God, coming to accept it uh, for themselves. Whole societies changed as people turn back uh, to God. God gave his people victories. And I guess you can look back on those in two ways. We either look back and, and that sort of inspires us. Uh, it, it encourages us to keep going, uh, to keep trusting God today. But that depends how we experience today, doesn't it? We can either look back at those victories and think, Let's keep going. Or we look back at those victories and we think, what is God doing today? Why doesn't he do that today? It might have been the same for God's people uh, here back in Psalm 44. As they look back on those victories, they thought, well, let's trust God now. That's where he goes in from verse five, sorry, from verse four. You are my king and my God through, who decrees victories for Jacob. Through you, we push back our enemies. Through you, we trample uh, our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies and you put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long and we will praise your name forever. See, God's people are doing what God's people have always done, trust in him. They are trusting in God to give them the victory. The psalmist isn't trusting in his bow and his sword, but in God. They're not boasting in their strength and their skill, but in God. God hasn't changed, and it seems neither of his people there are still trusting him. And so at this point in the psalm, you, you expect a big long list of all their victories, all the victories of God's people today, all the enemies that they've put down, all the ways in which God's kingdom is growing across the world. But that's, that's not what we get, is it? The whole tone of the psalm suddenly changes in verse nine. Because despite God's victories in the past, now God's people, well, they're rejected and humbled by God. Look again at verse nine. But now you have rejected and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You made us retreat before their enemies and our adversaries have plundered us. You gave us up to be devoured like sheep. 
and have scattered us among the nations. You sold your people for a pittance, gaining nothing from their sale. See, instead of the, the glorious victories that God's people once enjoyed, they are defeated. Their army is routed, they're in retreat. The people's homes have been plundered, they've been sold into slavery. The enemy just does what he wants. This isn't the, the glorious victories of the past, it is total uh, defeat. And the striking thing about, about this defeat is that it is God who has done it to his people. Just as God had acted for their victory in the past, so he has acted for their defeat. You have rejected us and humbled us. You no longer go out with our armies. You sold your people for a pittance. You, 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 God. You have done it. You, you can hear that sense of shock, of utter dismay, as the psalmist looks around and thinks, what, what is going on? God's people are utterly defeated. More than that, they are utterly shamed from verse 13. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. You have made us a byword among the nations. The people shake their head at us. I live in disgrace all day long, and my face is covered with shame at the taunts of those who reproach and revile me because of the enemy who is bent on revenge. The shame of God's people is absolute. Just imagine walking down the street and everyone uh, turns and stares and points. That's, that's those people. Everyone knows uh, what has happened to you. People use your name as a, as a shorthand for disgrace, dishonor. In a, in, a, in a similar way today than when people hear, you know, Jimmy Savile or Kevin Spacey, it, it, it's just disgrace, shame. It's, so, it's the sort of thing that hangs over you uh, day and night. The sort of thing that would keep you up that if you went out in public, you'd, you felt you wanted to put your face in a paper bag uh, to hide from the shame. I don't know if you remember, um, back in December of last year, um, there were a, a couple who for a couple of days were um, everywhere on all the front papers, all the front pages of the newspapers. Uh, there were uh, a chap called Paul Gate and Elaine Kirk. And the front page of the Mail on Sunday, probably not many of you are reading the Mail on Sunday, but their front page was, was dominated by a, um, a picture of, of these two. And underneath was the headline, Are These the Morons? who ruined Christmas. Um, there was uh, lots of material about this couple's background. Uh, they had uh, anonymous quotes uh, from various uh, people who knew them, uh, 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 cutting down their personalities. Piers Morgan, of all people, referred to the couple as clowns. What happened to this couple? Well, they had been arrested on suspicion of flying the drones that shut down Gatwick Airport for a couple of days. Thousands of flights uh, cancelled. Uh, tens of thousands of people's uh, plans ruined. For those couple of days, they were the most hated people in Britain. 
If you'd have seen that picture, everyone would have shook their heads. What morons. Of course, the awful thing was they hadn't actually done anything wrong. Uh, they were completely innocent uh, of the crime that they were being uh, accused of. And as they reflected on that experience, it was a very moving interview where they're absolutely distraught um, having gone through this experience. This is what they said. They said, we feel completely violated. Our home has been searched. Our privacy, our, our identity completely exposed. Our names, photos, and other personal information have been broadcast throughout the world. We are deeply distressed, as are our family and friends. We are currently receiving medical care. They were absolutely broken by the shame, but shame that they did not deserve, that they had done nothing wrong. In a similar way, Psalm 44, uh, God's people are the ones that everyone is talking about, but not in a good way. Look what has happened to them now, is what people say. And so as you, if you reread the victories of verse one to three in the light of that, well, they're not so much an encouragement anymore as a, as a taunt. The victories of the past, they almost mock God's people. God used to do all this for his people, but, but now look at you. I don't know, um, I don't know how realistic uh, that is uh, for us today. I don't know how often we do feel like that. Certainly not that sort of collective sense of God rejecting us, humbling us. I guess sometimes we might feel it individually um, as we experience disdain uh, if we call ourselves Christians in the workplace or in our communities. People think we're a bit strange, odd, uh, immoral even. But if you were a Christian in, in many parts of the world today, I guess you would feel this. You would sort of know this experience if you were a Christian in North Korea. Imprisoned in a in a labor camp, I guess you you might think this. If you were a member of that church in Sichuan, I guess you could feel like God has rejected us, humbled us. What is happening? One day we we, we might get to that point um, in this country. There may be um, ways in which Christians feel that shame, as if they've been cut off from God. I guess we see signs of it now in small ways. I was trying to think of ways in which I've felt this recently. I, it is small um, by comparison, but um, my family and I went for a walk around Brixton um, a couple of weeks back, um, fun part of town. Uh, there is a church right in the middle, an old church building right in the middle of, of the big Windrush Square, uh, the main square in Brixton. Um, beautiful big church uh, that also used to be filled with people uh, coming to, to hear God's word, uh, to praise them together. It's an Anglican church. Although, well, it was, um, now uh, that church is, is called Torture Garden, um, and it is Europe's largest fetish club, right there in the middle of Brixton, in an old church building. As I saw that, I, get, I guess it made me sad that that's the state of the church in this nation, that we have to sell our buildings to, um, to become clubs. But there was also a sense of shame. Why, why is that happening? Has God rejected uh, the church in this nation? It's certainly not like it used to be. Um, it seems like 
more and more the secular agenda is, is winning out in the public debate. Christians are, are marginalized, um, derided, strange. Maybe it should feel more like, like we've been, the church in this country has, has been rejected by God. Maybe it will increasingly be that, feel like that. But as we, as we see that in Psalm 44, it, it begs the question, why has it happened uh, to us? See, for most of the Old Testament, um, the experience of God's people were directly related to their faithfulness to God. So in Deuteronomy 28, uh, God lays out the blessings for following him, for being faithful to him, and the curses that will come upon God's people if they are unfaithful, um, if they are disobedient. If you're faithful, blessing. If you're unfaithful, curse. So, as they look at this rejection that they're experiencing, it must mean they've been unfaithful, doesn't it? They must deserve this experience. But it's, it's not that simple. Uh, here, look down again at verse 17. All this came upon us, though we had not forgotten you. We had not been false to your covenant. Our hearts had not turned back. Our feet had not strayed from your path. But you crushed us and made us a haunt for jackals. You covered us over with deep darkness. See, this is, this is the real shock uh, of Psalm 44. Their defeat, their shame are not the result of unfaithfulness. They have not forgotten God. Now, the psalmist isn't claiming that, that they're sinless, that they're somehow a perfect people. But he's saying, they have, we have been faithful to your covenant. We've been doing the right thing uh, on the outside. Our feet have not strayed from your path. Their hearts have been in the right place. Their hearts have not turned back. They really have been loving God. But still, God has crushed them. Verse 20, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God have discovered it since he knows the secrets of the heart? Yet for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The psalmist says, look, we'd, we'd understand it, God, if, if it was deserved. If we had gone the wrong way, if we'd worshipped idols, if we'd turned from you. But you know our hearts, Lord. You know that is not what we've done. In fact, it's more than that, isn't it? It's because they have remained faithful to God that they are suffering. Verse 22 says, yet for your sake, we face death all day long. What is going on, God? Isn't this a, a miscarriage of justice? Aren't you going back on your promises? Has God rejected his people, even though they've been faithful? That's certainly what it feels like. It's not actually very clear from the psalm uh, how, how, we can, how God can do this. The psalmist gives no answers. We do begin to get a little bit more of an answer as, as we look from this side of the cross. So this psalm actually uh, comes up in Romans 8. I wonder if you've still got your Bibles, just flick on uh, to Romans 8. Uh, you'll find it on page 1135. 1135. 
in the context of a, a church that is suffering, that is being persecuted for its faith in, in Jesus. Here's what Paul writes from verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. That is the experience of God's people still in the New Testament. See how, how Paul quotes Psalm 44. For your sake, we face death all day long. And that's certainly the cry of Christians uh, in the persecuted church. But see, see where Paul goes with it in verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, Paul says, for the suffering church, the cry of Psalm 44 is not a cry of defeat, but a cry of victory. Because um, the suffering of Christians now that comes in the light of Jesus' suffering. Jesus is the one who more than any other can say he was rejected and humbled by God, even though he had never done anything wrong, even though he had never been unfaithful. He experienced that absolutely and, and fully uh, on the cross. He experienced the defeat in death, he experienced the shame as people shook their heads at him. And so for Christians in the light of the cross, even when we feel rejected by God, even when we feel uh, that very intensely at times, we can know that nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so for the faithful church that is suffering now, that is not a punishment uh, for unfaithfulness. It is a battle scar for living the Christian life. It isn't a sign that God has rejected uh, his people, much as it may feel like that. It is in fact a sign that, that we belong to Christ. And so it will feel at times like, like God has given up uh, on his people either across the world or closer to home. But he has not. What do we do then? What do we do when we feel that God has rejected his people? We don't understand why. Well, that's where the psalm finishes. And so he cries out in faith, do not reject us forever. Let me read from verse 23 to the end. Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? Rise yourself, do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? We are brought down to the dust, our bodies cling to the ground. Rise up and help us. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. As the psalmist draws his prayer to a close, there is a boldness to what he says. There is a boldness that, that only really comes out of a true ex experience of suffering. I wonder how many of us would, would dare 
uh, to pray something like this. I mean, it is bordering on the, the blasphemous, isn't it? Awake, Lord, why do you sleep? The psalmist knows that, that God neither slumbers nor sleeps, and yet, in his experience, he feels like, like God is not there, like he's fallen asleep. And he's not afraid to express that uh, to God. He's not afraid to ask those difficult questions. Why are you hiding your face? Lord, we're not just on our knees. We're, we're face planting the ground. We are as good as dead. Why don't you do something? Rise up. Help us. Rescue us. But you see that even as he does that, he is clinging to God's unfailing love. That's how he finishes. Rescue us because of your unfailing love. See, whatever else the psalmist feels and experiences, he knows that God is faithful. He knows that God has made promises to his people to keep them and that he will always keep those promises. And so he calls on God, rescue us. So as we finish, when we feel uh, like this, what should we do? As we look at uh, suffering Christians around the world, as we experience suffering ourselves, what do we do? Well, I think the psalm teaches us that we cry out uh, to God. We bring those feelings to him. We pray, we pray boldly uh, in the words of Psalm 44. We pray in the midst of our confusion. Um, probably, I guess, our prayers often are too tame, uh, too soft. We're, we're afraid of asking bold uh, questions uh, when we pray. But see, this side of the cross looking back on Jesus' suffering, we have even more boldness, even more confidence uh, to pray like this. Suffering is, is real. Uh, it won't always be obvious why we're suffering. But it has come that, that we might be faithful. It, it may have come that because we have been faithful to God, as you take a stand for God in the workplace or uh, at home, suffering may come. But in Psalm 44, God is giving us permission to speak to him uh, like this. It is not an expression of doubt. It is an expression of faith in the one whose unfailing love will never fail. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we look around our world, as we look around our church family, our own lives, we know the all too real presence of suffering. And Father, sometimes we just want to cry out, why? Have you rejected us? Father, thank you for the honesty of Psalm 44, the dismay that, he, that the psalmist is able to express as he sees your people suffering. Father, thank you that because of Jesus, we know that, that nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So Father, for those of us who, who are struggling at the minute, for those of us who feel, uh, who know that experience of feeling rejected and, and cut off from you, would we remember your unfailing love? Would we trust in your good promises? And would we cry out to you for rescue? that we might trust in you all the more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.